Welcome to the Carl Bart Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Tuttle. Since this is the first episode of the podcast, I figured I would throw in a little bit about me before we jump into today's episode. I'm currently a PhD student in systematic theology at the University of Aberdeen, where I'm working on Dietrich Bonhoeffer's theology. I also host the Bonhoeffer Podcast, a monthly podcast where I interview Bonhoeffer scholars about their work. You'll see a trend here. (laughs) If you listen to that podcast, don't worry, nothing's changing over there. I'm just adding one more. Each episode on the Karl Barth podcast, I will interview a Barth scholar about their work. It doesn't take long when studying Dietrich Bonhoeffer's theology to see the massive impact that Karl Barth has on Bonhoeffer's life. Um, So in order for me to get to the core of Bonhoeffer's thought, I will need to know Karl Barth very well, and currently I don't. I've attended some lectures, read a few books, both primary and secondary sources, but I have a long ways to go. So if you're new to BART, you're in good company. Once a month, I'll interview a BART scholar about their work and we will get caught up to speed in no time. And if you're already a fan of BART, I only ask that you forgive any of my elementary level questions. Um, I genuinely am just trying to learn and hopefully we can have a fun time learning together. This episode, I had the privilege of interviewing Dr. Christiana Tietz about her new book, Karl Barth, A Life in Conflict. So with that being said, let's go ahead and get into the first episode. And my guest today is Dr. Christiana Tietz. Since 2013, she has been the full professor of systematic theology at the University of Hermeneutics and Philosophy of Religion at the University of Zurich in Switzerland. And she's also a member of the advisory board for the Karl Barth Foundation. And she's also the author of the new book, Karl Barth, A Life in Conflict. Dr. Tietz, thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks. Yeah, I've uh, been looking forward to this for quite a while. Um, I read your book. I'm, I'm very new. I mentioned this before we jumped on, but very new to Bart studies, but uh, in order to do my dissertation, um, I need to not be new at it. I need to know quite a bit more. And this was such a thorough and um, it, it was a great, great way to introduce me to Bart's work, but also very thorough. So I feel like I have a bunch of places to go from here. So thank you for writing it. Thank you. So I want to uh, start this with just kind of a get to know you section, I'll get to know you a little bit. Um, what led you to, I mean, obviously you've been studying theology, um, at an academic level for quite a while, um, since the 2013, you've been the full professor in, in Zurich. Um, what led you to study theology? How did that start? I originally wanted to become a teacher in religious, um, education. And I also started mathematics to become that kind of, uh, high school teacher. But then I was so fascinated by theology that I couldn't end being a theologian. Um, my, 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 yeah, and my most important teacher actually was Eberhard Jünger uh, in Tübingen. Uh-huh. And, and he also introduced me to Karl Barth. Wow. Yeah. Uh, my, my PhD supervisor is uh, Bill Ziegler. And he, he mentioned that last week about Jünger. And he was like, I bet she has some great stories if you have time, <laughs> but we'll save that for another time. Um, so how did you, so uh, Eberhard Jungel introduced you to Karl Barth. Was that how you first got in? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then I, I wrote my dissertation like you on, on Bonhoeffer. Mm-hmm. And of course, Bonhoeffer, you can only understand Bonhoeffer if you understand his dialogue with Barth. 
So I had to read some more Bart to, during my dissertation time. Absolutely, and yeah, that's uh, that's why I'm here as well. Um, so it was Bonhoeffer first and then Bart, or vice versa? Maybe at the same time. Well, that's hard to tell. Yeah. I, I I cannot I can, I cannot tell it right now. Um, oh, but my my inter I might I might add that my interest in Bart increased when I moved to Switzerland. Oh really? Um, because Bart, you know, is a Swiss theologian, and doing more work on Bart helped me to to uh, more get accustomed with uh, Swiss history, Swiss mm -hmm. theology, and also Swiss mentality. Because Bart, in some regards, is if I may say this somehow typically Swiss. Right. And so this was this was very fascinating for me to to write about a Swiss theologian and about a Swiss theologian who not only lived in Switzerland, but also in Germany. So he had somehow an existence between those two countries, Germany and Switzerland, and I'm German too. So um, it somehow helped me reflect my own existence between two countries, if I may put it wow. that way. <laughs> That's great. Um, what led you to write the book? Um, how I guess I'm, I'm so new. So part of my question is, um, are there older biographies of Bart available? Um, and if so, um, why was now the time to, to write the new one? Well, there's actually only one big biography on Karl okay. Bart, which is the biography by Eberhard Busch, who was his last assistant. It was published in 1975, and it was it's a magisterial work and it's a standard work for everybody working on Carbart. Hmm. And I think because it's so um, magisterial, nobody tried to, and, and Bart is like an ocean, his, whole, his theological work, his, his life is so um, huge and has so many aspects. I think, I think nobody, um, hmm, how should I put that, <laughs> was, 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 was brave enough or uh, <laughs> <laughs> difficult to put it uh, to to write a new book on on Bart, mm -hmm. and when I give interviews on Bart, uh, you know, there always comes come those questions like, so what did Bart think about X and Y? And I have no idea about that because Bart is so huge. I know something about Bart, but it's it's like the universe. So you you will never be an expert on 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 every aspect of mm -hmm. of Bart, and this might also be a reason why nobody since Bush tried to to do that mm. but on a more serious level um since bush's book um the the critical edition of bart's works had not been completed but at least several more volumes had had come out since then so i think right now we have 50 or so volumes they're planned that they have planned 100 volumes on bart's works critical edition and so I could use that for my um, biography because uh, they tell the, the context of the lectures, for example, the historical background, the illusions which Bart uses. So this was a, a background which Bush uh, in many cases did, could not use. And of course, there were some sources unpublished when uh, Bush wrote his book and I, I could use them as well. Wow, that's great. Yeah, there's, it seems so... Um complete. The, I, I, I guess I should mention this. I interviewed uh, Dr. Victoria Barnett for um, the Bonhoeffer podcast in December. And I want to say it was off air that she mentioned that she felt like, because I interviewed her about the Everhard Betka biography. And she mentioned that after all those pages, she still kind of felt like she didn't know Bonhoeffer very well, that mm. it's very 
he went here, did this um, very. And as far as like a, the personality d- didn't come off the pages and without warranting anything, I, I didn't even know you're writing the book at the time because I mean, it wasn't out yet or anything. And she was like, but there is a book coming out by Christiana Tietz that I'm translating. That is you, you really feel like, you know, Bart and, I definitely think that's true. I, I, I mean, I really enjoyed it, as I mentioned, but you can tell that uh, you had some access to a bunch of documents and papers that really um, paints sort of uh, all of Bart's life, I guess. Yeah, and I, what fascinated me while writing a book was really his personality. His, what kind of human being is Karl Bart? So this mm-hmm. was actually my, my main research focus when doing it. So to, to paint his, he's a very complex, has a very complex personality. And this was what fascinated me most. And I think I stressed it maybe more than other people who would have written a biography hmm. on Bart. That's great. Well, let's jump into Bart's life. Um, I Since this is the first episode, I figured this would be a great way to kind of go through your biography a bit, um, introduce new listeners, um, people who are new to Bart's work as to who Bart is, what, what he wrote about, that sort of thing. So maybe we can just start at the beginning. Um, so let's say the the red pastor section, um, Bart's life as, as a pastor. Um, where was he a pastor? What are some key events in his life um, in, in that time? Yeah, uh, so you're skipping the part of that he was a student first and then yeah. he did his <laughs> sure, sure. vicar and Geneva and stuff like that. He was a pastor in Saffenville, which is a small industrial, small town with uh, factory workers in 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 the Argau so it's a rural rural town and he was while he was a pastor there confronted with the social situation of the workers there and he felt that he could not he could not be a pastor and ignore the the very poor social situation of the the uh, factory workers and at that time in Switzerland there was a movement called and still is existing a movement called religious socialism um, where people convinced of Christianity try to um, connect Christian ideas with socialist ideas because they felt and Bart agreed to that that the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, is or, or what Jesus Christ wanted is exactly what socialism wanted. Socialism mm-hmm. in many aspects was critical of religion but religious socialism felt no, socialism and religion is not the opposite, it actually belongs together, especially if you think from a Christian perspective. And this made Bart engaged in, in many social conflicts at his time. So he publicly spoke out for the workers, which many people uh, didn't like because they thought a pastor should only speak about religion and not about social questions. But Bart felt that's his duty as a pastor and as a Christian as a follower of Jesus, you might even say, to speak out in, in issues like that. And even as a young man, he had strong conflicts with uh, people, in, um, influential people in Saffenwil, who whom he told that they should not uh, lead their factory the way they are doing it, and they because he felt there should be more more just the conditions should be more just than they actually were. Hmm. Wow. And he, he seems to make some sort of a shift theologically to a, a dialectical approach. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, 
And you would even say that there was already a shift from liberal theology in which he studied to religious socialism during this time in, in Saffenville. And then during his time, he was pastor in Saffenville from 1911 to 1921. So in, in the midst of this time, the First World War began, 1914. Mm. And Bart was, he, he had studied uh, theology mainly in Germany and was shocked how the, many of his German professors um, engaged in, in in the propaganda for the First World War. And they, the, theology professors, um, argued that what was going on in Germany right now, preparing for the war and, and, and fighting the war, that was what God was would be interested in and what that they would fight on God's side, to put it very basically. And Bart was really shocked, as many people during that those years were, that something like a world war could happen. So at the end of the 19th century, people, many people felt, well, we are, humanity is really making progress. We have justice, we have uh, human rights and stuff like that. But now many people were shocked that people were starting again to, to, to kill each other without limits. And Bart felt a theology which supported that could not be a correct theology. And this made him start to think anew about the theology which he had learned at German universities, which made him return to the biblical text. This is how he always told the story and started again to read uh, Paul's letters to the Romans. Wow. And this made him write this uh, famous camp commentary on Paul's letters in which he tried to um, strongly distinguish any human attempt in religion and culture, in the peace movement, um, in, in socialism from God, because he felt that the war had, um, how do you say that, uh, had problematized anything human beings were doing. So mm -hmm. God should be distinguished totally from any, from any human or worldly category. God is the holy other. This is the main, this is very, it's much more complex, but that's the main uh, figure in, in Bart's letter to the Romans. Thank you. Oh. Um, so he, he starts to write this commentary on Romans. Um, and does that, is that what leads him to become a professor? Um, how does that transition happen where he become, goes from pastor at Saffenville to? It was uh, actually a little bit uh, incidental because somebody who was involved in um, the attempt to find a professor for a professorship on reformed theology in Göttingen, in some context, um, remembered that there was this Karl Barth who wrote this book about the Romans and um, suggested Barth. And then finally Barth became the professor in, in Göttingen. He, had, he hadn't done a habilitation, which at that point often was requested from people who would become a professor in Germany, and he had not even written a, a dissertation. So he became a professor without any academic qualification, which he actually found horrible. So in the first, in the letters, the first letters which he writes from, wrote from Germany to his friends in Switzerland, you can strongly feel how Bart was desperate that he now had to be a professor and he was astonished that the students came and listened to him as if he would be a real professor because he didn't feel he knew anything worth to be told uh, at the university. But I should mention one interesting aspect that before Bart became a professor in Göttingen, he completely rewrote 
his commentary on the on the letter on Paul's letter to the Romans because he felt the book found so much interest that it could not be a good book because <laughs> if people would like his book then he would not be clear enough how uh, how bad the situation of human beings is this should not be a book that people liked and he felt that he had written he had spoken about God in his commentary, first version of the commentary, um, much too natural. And he always told, an, or sometimes he told an episode about that, that the, the printer of the book of the first edition once called him and said that he would not have enough G, letter G, in his letter case. Because God, Bart felt, well, I, I have spoken about God too often and in too many times. But as a human being, I cannot talk about God. And we can only, and of course, as theologians, we have to talk about God, but God is not a graspable by, by human language. And therefore, we should, at the same time, while we talk about God, be very hesitant to, to say something about God. Well, um, so I wanted to ask you about, about that commentary. Um, I am still so new to it. I have it, but I have not, I have not read it yet. Um, what are some of the main themes in there? You mentioned God as holy other, completely on the other end of the spectrum from human beings as far as possible. Um, what, uh, what are some other themes in, in that work? Um, if people are looking to open that book for the first time, something that might help orient them to what Bart's trying to do, I guess. Yeah, I think I would even re uh, recommend to read the second version of mm -hmm. the letter of the Romans and not the first, because in the second, he's really, he's developing those ideas even further. Um, uh, the, the counterpart of this God is the Holy Other is that any human attempt cannot reach God. So this leads to Bart. Um, radical criticism of religion. He would say religion is only the attempt of human beings to, um, to, to quiet um, themselves and to tell them everything is okay with you because you are a, relig a religious being. But Bart would say that's, that has not, might be the case that they are religious, but this has nothing to do with God. Mm -hmm. And he would stress that there is only one point where God and human beings interact. And this is in Jesus Christ. And this, this um, and Jesus Christ is the only point where God makes contact with the world, so to speak. But Jesus Christ is so, uh, when we try to, to write the life of Jesus Christ, the historical life of Jesus Christ, for example, then we already try to uh, fix God somehow in the worldly realm and in, in that way that we describe what Jesus did and stuff like that. And Bart at that time would say, no, that's not how we should talk about Jesus because Jesus is only that point where the, I know, don't know the word in English as well, where the tangent um, touches the circle. Mm -hmm. So there's no, that you cannot speak about 30 years here. It's only a point where God touches the world and not a period in a human life. So, so somehow there is a connection between God and the world, but it's, it's, you cannot get hold of that connection. And the important point is, and this will be a key figure of God's thinking throughout his life, that it is always God who makes the contact. It's God who has to reveal himself, uh, God's self in the world, and no human attempt can, can, can reach God or no human idea of God is able to 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 grasp God's uh, reality. 
Hmm. Wow. So he's he's a professor, theologian, author. He uh, he writes this Romans commentary one and two. Um, what are some of the works after that in that same period where he's teaching at Gunningen, um, and then maybe um, further in his career? We'll save the church dogmatics for later, but um, just some <laughs> of the main themes for people who are trying to. All right, what book, Bart book, should I read that um, from that period? I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, when Bart started teaching, his theological thinking had to change because he could not only criticize what people did wrong and only say, this is not how we should do it. He had to teach dogmatics. So he had to unvol- try to involve somehow how he nevertheless should, should and could talk about God. So he could not stay by in this, um, with this figure, human beings cannot talk about God. He had to think about how could we do doctrinal work. And he made several attempts to do that. First in the so-called Göttingen Dogmatics, which is translated into English, but was published only very late, not during, not during his time in Göttingen. But this was only a first attempt to try to, um, conf- con- uh, to, to, to do doctrinal thinking. And then in Münster, where he had his second professorship, he published his first dogmatic attempt, um, in 1927, a Christian, uh, in German, it's a Christliche Dogmatik im Entwurf, uh, Christian Dogmatics in Outline. Mm-hmm. And, but he published only the first volume because uh, when, he wanted, when he prepared the second volume or tried to prepare the second volume, he again had the feeling that it doesn't work this way. So he had to start anew. So you have the same figure actually from the first and second Romans to the first volume here of the Christliche Dogmatik im Entwurf to the then Kirchliche Dogmatik, which you already mentioned, which was to become Barth's main work, which he, of which he published the first volume in 1932. I should mention one small book in that uh, period as well, which is Barth's book on uh, Anselm of Canterbury, on Anselm's ontological proof of the existence of God. Uh, which Barth called Fides Querens Intellectum, which is uh, faith searching or seeking understanding. Mm. Because Barth, in considering Anselm's text, uh, realized that you can cannot prove God's existence and you don't have to prove God's existence because you start with the faith of, faith of the church, um, the belief of the church, no, the faith of the church already in God's existence. So Barth realized that Anselm started his proof with a uh, proof in, in quotation marks with a prayer. So this is with the assumption that God already exists. And Bart from then on realized, and I'm relying here on uh, the Barth interpretation of Eberhard Jüngel. I know other scholars contradict this um, interpretation, but, but uh, Jüngel always stressed that um, but he realized that because there is also some, already some faith in God, this is with which theology has to start with the, the existence of the church, with the existence of believers, and therefore theology can rely on, on what is already believed and unfold what is already believed. So theology from that point and for, from, for Bart became a thinking behind or thinking after what is already believed in the church. Theology don't has to um, construct the existence of God from scratch or something like that. Mm-hmm. It has to unfold what it finds in the church. How is this, 
I guess not necessarily these themes, but uh, these works. So let's say Romans, both Roman commentaries, you kind of alluded to that a little bit, um, but let's say the, uh, the Anselm book and um, the, the humanity of God. I know that that's one that I have. It's only uh, an art, It's only an article that you mentioned. Right, a little essay. Yeah. Um, how, how was all of this received? You mentioned that obviously the first Romans copy sold a bunch. Um, was it generally well received or did he have, I'm sure he had his critics. How did that work? Well, actually the, the first commentary at the beginning did not sell that well. So okay. only the second felt quite well, quite more. Um, I think there were two branches of receivers. There was a, a big group of people who, who really um, were glad that Bart started to think that way. They felt that how Bart expressed things, that was how you had to do theology after the crisis of the First World War. But there were also other theologians. One famous was Adolf uh, von Harnack, one, the most one prominent figure of liberal theology at that time, who felt that Bart in his way of doing theology was uh, actually uh, killing theology, I might say, mm -hmm. because he's no longer doing ac academic theology. He felt that Bart uh, speaks like a preacher, um, spoke like a preacher, um, did not longer stick to academic equality, um, was much too naive in, in how he read the Bible and, and things like that. So um, there was a, a big discussion at that time between the the pro the people who liked Bart and the people who people who hated Bart. Mm -hmm. Wow, yeah, I'm I'm rereading. I just finished rereading uh, volume nine of the Bonhoeffer works. So it's mm -hmm. the young Bonhoeffer when he's when he's in college for uh, university, and I'm definitely seeing that quite a bit um, and seeing that he's uh, how much he's just devouring everything that uh, he can get his hands on for Bart. His, <laughs> I was, I was laughing that his, his mother writes to him, Hey, can you send me the Bart book that you sent to your uncle? So <laughs> Bonhoeffer is just sending Bart books to, to all of his family. And then I think there's a, a parish pastor. I think his name is Richard Vidman um, who writes to him and says, Hey, could you send me a, he also says, can you send me a copy of the second Romans commentary? And then, uh, like a letter after that, he apparently has it, and but he's still writing Bonhoeffer. Can you summarize the precepts of what Bart is trying to do? So, um, I'm definitely that's that's really fresh on the mind because I just finished that. This sort of um, von Harnack or Bart uh, liberal theology or dialectical theology that sort of uh, tension there. I wanted to ask a bit more about uh, I guess Bart's personal life. You have this. Uh, chapter that was riveting because um, I, I knew nothing about it. Um, this this the emergency situation, emergency community. I think he calls it. Can we get into I guess Bart uh, Bart's home life? How he um, meets his wife? How does he meet his wife? And then how does um, the situation with Charlotte von Kirschbahn uh, develop? What's the story there? I guess. Yeah, Bart met his wife. Um during his time in Geneva when he was a vicar uh, and, and uh, she was took part in his confirmation class. Uh, Bart married Nelly Hoffman in 1913 and they had uh, five children. Um, and then in 1925, he met Charlotte von Kirschbaum in a summer vacation uh, close to, in a, a little uh, house of friends close to Zurich. And they very quickly fell in love with each other and uh, started exchanging letters very personally from the very beginning and 
in January 1926, she met, she visited Bart in Münster, where he had started a new professorship, and they declared each other that they would love each other. Mm. Uh, but Bart, in his first letter, love letter to her, uh, makes very clear that because he's married, there cannot be any step further, um, and that they should develop a kind of friendship, but nothing more. And a few days later, he tells his wife about that, that they, he and Charlotte had fallen in love, but also told her that there would be no step further. But very soon, uh, Bart realized that he could not, or, or felt that he could not live without Charlotte. So in 1927, she started working for him. Um, she spent his, uh, his summer vacations with him, writing on this De Christliche Dogmatik, helped him write, uh, or he dictated actually his thoughts and she typed them uh, of the Christliche Dogmatik im Entwurf and so his uh, close working relationship began. And in 1929, he felt that he could no longer live with Charlotte seeing her every day. So he suggested to her that she should move in in the household. Um, and as you can imagine, Nelly was not amused by that. And actually at that point, uh, considered a, a divorce, but at the same time, Nelly Bart tried to understand Bart. And uh, so finally she agreed to uh, Charlotte's move in to the household. And then Charlotte moved with the family for the next 40 years from, from household to household. Um, and yeah, now a, a really a troubled relationship actually began because uh, they did not find a solution with which all three people could live. So when you read the letters, it's very, very moving um, how they again and again try to find another, uh, another solution beside this menage a trois. Should should Charlotte leave the household? And then Bart always says, no, I cannot, I cannot do it without her. Without her. Uh, should um, his wife divorce or should they divorce? And then his wife thinks, oh, she shouldn't be the wife from which he would want to be divorced. So she, she um, feels guilty that she wasn't able to him to, to stick within that marriage. And, and on the other hand, Bart felt uh, that he could only agree to a divorce if his wife would agree to a divorce. So there was no, they, they discussed it again and again and family members are involved in that and they say what they should do and friends, close friends say what they should do. It's really horrible to read that because mm -hmm. all participants suffer in their, uh, their, their personal way. And I felt that all three tried to be responsible somehow. This might sound a little bit weird, but it's very important for, for my understanding that each of them try to be responsible to the to the others. And what what for my understanding of the relationship was very important that um, I felt that Bart they, they hided the the triangle to to the outer world, but close friends knew about that. And Bart um, to close friends always was aware that this was guilt. And that he was guilty to having that relationship with Charlotte von Kirschbaum. If you allow, I might read a short passage in which Bart tells this to um, a friend in 1942. So this is about around 20 years 
after he met uh, Charlotte von Kirschbaum. Mm. And he writes, tells his friend, the very fact that that is the greatest earthly blessing bestowed upon me in my life is simultaneously the harshest judgment against my earthly life. So I stand before God's eyes without being able to escape God in the one way or another. It is entirely possible that because of this, there is an element of experience in my theology, or better put, an element of lived life. In a very concrete manner, I have been forbidden from becoming the legalist that under other circumstances I could have become. And for, from my observation, I really feel that for Bach, because of this very difficult and unsolved situation, private situation, this was actually because the why the category of grace became so important for Bart. So Bart is a theologian of grace, but I think it's it's from it's especially because of that personal um, awareness of of his own guilt. Wow. Was so I'm thinking about um, one of my favorite Bonhoeffer works is Letters and Papers from Prison. Um, sometimes I think I feel a bit a tinge of guilt uh, because when I read it, because it feels like I'm reading someone else's text messages, someone else's mail that wasn't intended to be published, I guess. Yeah. Did you have that experience at all? I imagine that that's way more, it would be way more intense if I was reading something like that from Bonhoeffer, but uh, did you have that experience at all? And then, um, yeah, how, how did that work? I did have that experience, especially when you read those, those um, letters where you can feel how they cried or how they, didn't find solution and fall and things like that. And I felt this was not written for me to be read. Yeah. But what, what helped me was that Bart's children, um, at a certain point, at least the children who were still alive when this was decided, at a certain point decided that they wanted these letters to be published. This was very late, only in, in 2000, mm. um, where the first letters published in which you could sense that tension in the marriage between uh, of Bart. And, and the, the children in a declaration said that they wanted these letters to be published because they wanted the rumors to end. And they wanted people to understand which um, importance Charlotte von Kirschbaum had for Bart's life and what Nelly Bart um, uh, tried to bear for Bart's, Karl mm. Bart's um, life or so. Yeah, so this 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 made me feel it's somehow legitimate because the, the children wanted me to know. Definitely, yeah. yeah. Well, that's great. Um, how has this or has it um, affected Bart's reception? Let's say since since these letters have come out and this has sort of become more mainstream knowledge, has this changed uh, people's interest in Bart that you've seen? I think some people, or I'm aware that some people rejected Bart's theology because of that. Hmm. Um, I personally have difficulties with this strict rejection, mainly for two reasons. Um, why do we criticize a person's love life more strictly than, for example, how much time he has for his children or how responsible he uses his money or how she reacts, to use an example of today, to the ecological crisis? Hmm. So we make a differentiation in regard of, of uh, in terms of how people uh, in, in, in regard to, to human failure. Yeah. 
and here we feel this is so horrible therefore we cannot read his work anymore and this distinction actually does not make much sense to me mm -hmm. and the second aspect which uh, relies to me as a reader i think uh, some people would argue that an academic work is not worth to be read if the person behind that work is not 100% uh, reliable. But I would say that I, as a reader, cannot delegate the judgment about the value of a work, of a theological work, to the author and his morality or her morality. It's my responsibility as a reader to judge the value of the thoughts of a person with regard to these thoughts. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Um, well, let's shift gears here. Um, this last section, I, I, I don't want to you know we have uh, just a little bit more time together. I wanted to ask about the church dogmatics and kind of devote a little section to that. Um, I guess I'll just start with <laughs> for assuming someone who may be listening doesn't know anything about it. Um, what is, what are the church dogmatics? <laughs> I Googled that a few times to figure out if, <laughs> if it is or are. Um, yeah, so what are the church dogmatics? Um, so how many volumes? What's kind of the overall goal? And then we can get to some of the more main ideas in it. Mm -hmm. So the church dogmatics is Bard's main work. It's the largest or most extensive theological work of the 20th century. It um, has 12 volumes, but it's not completed. Um, it has four large parts, and Bart wanted to write a fifth part about uh, redemption or eschatology, but he could not. Um, he could not uh, finish that. It's, it's sometimes called the White Whale or Moby Dick because it's so big, and White <laughs> Whale because it's in German the the cover is is white linen, and this makes if it's 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 a whole. Uh, it's almost a meter, actually, wow. <laughs> if you buy it, yeah. Um, the first volume appeared in 1932, as I already said, and, and the last volume, the uncompleted volume, um, appeared in 1967 as a fragment. So it was really, Bart worked on that um, book, on that work, for more than 30 years, and it's really accomplished, uh, accompanied him during all his academic career. And he lectured there about that um, in his lectures with, uh, with students. So he's, he discussed it with students. Um, it, just, it really grew out of his academic teaching. It was not only um, a writing, which he, of course, he wrote it at home, but then he took it to the university and presented it to his, teacher, to his students. And he tried to uh, reconceptualize theology, theology in his church dogmatics. Hmm. So he, you very often find points where he um, takes up a certain theological figure from the tradition, but he changes it beautifully. And the main idea um, for this change is always that God only reveals God's self. Human beings cannot recognize God by their own thoughts and stuff like that. And what does this, does this mean for all theological uh, concepts? Wow. Thank you. Um... So let's jump into the church dogmatics a bit more. Um, you said there are uh, four main volumes. I, I, there should, there's five <laughs> planned, but um, 
what are those volumes? So uh, you said one on redemption eschatology is at the very end. What are, what are the other four? And then what are some of the main ideas and in those works that people would maybe recognize or should look for if they do read it? Mm -hmm. So the first part is about prolegomena, the doctrine of the word of God or of, of revelation. How, how, do we, how do we have to understand revelation? The second part is about the doctrine of God. The third part is about creation. The uh, fourth part is about reconciliation. Okay. And I would like to take out maybe two, uh, two, uh, two ideas, which I find especially fascinating. One idea is about how, God, how Bart understands that the Bible is the word of God. Bart is a, a theologian who is interested in the Bible. He works a lot on the Bible, but he's convinced that the Bible itself is only a, a witness to the original word of God, which is Jesus Christ. So God speaks of God's self in Jesus Christ, um, not mediated through anything, very directly. Here we can encounter God, but we know about Jesus Christ and God's revelation of God's self only through scripture. Yeah, so we have scriptures for us, the media, to, to get to that original and basic or primary revelation. But the Bible and scripture is, is a witness to that original revelation, but it is not, uh, it is, it's human words. It's a human witness to God's original revelation. Hmm. And how can we then say that the Bible is the word of God? Bart says, the church understands the Bible as the word of God and says that the Bible is the word of God because it had experienced that it was the word of God, which means that God spoke through the church, through those texts, and the church lives from the hope that God will again do that. So it's a kind of elliptical structure. There was this speaking of God through the Bible and the hope of it will again be that God will speak through that, but it's not a substantial here it is, here's the text, and within this word by word, we have God's original word. Mm -hmm. I would say that's not correct, human words, but they witness about God's original word. And I find this a very, um, very helpful conceptualization of an understanding of how the Bible is the word of God, which avoids a biblicistic uh, reading of scripture. I would like, if I have time, I would like to, to stress another doctrine, which I really love in the church dogmatics, but yes, this is, which is this um, new conceptualization of the reformed doctrine of the double predestination. Um, reformed theology understands, has a strong impetus on grace. And if you have a strong impetus on grace, that means that human beings cannot do anything for, um, uh, they, they cannot work for that grace. They are dependent on God's grace. And this, includes the idea that God elects human beings. And in reformed doctrine, in the reformed tradition, you had this idea that God, on the one hand, elects human beings, but on the other hand, rejects human beings and condemns human beings and, and from the very beginning. So, and human beings cannot do anything for that. So the, in the form, in some aspect or some branches of the reformed tradition, this doctrine of double predestination really had um, and some negative aspect because people were afraid of, are they condemned by God? And one tried to change this idea of the double predestination 
insofar as you said, um, I, I, sh I should add one more point that um, the late Calvin actually uses then Jesus Christ as that person through whom the election takes place, but what Christ does is not um, relevant for every human being, only for those, finally, only for those who are elected. And Barr says, no, we have to do it differently. Jesus Christ had, has to be the, um, the main idea here. We have to understand that grace in Jesus Christ is, is the basic, um, the basis for the doctrine of redemption, which means that Barr says, I, I just put it very short, that in Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus Christ, actually, Jesus Christ, when he, when Jesus Christ gets cruci crucified, Jesus Christ is condemned. And in this condemn condemnation, all human condemnation is, is put aside. So Jesus Christ is the only human being condemned. And beside him, no human being is condemned. And at the same time, Jesus Christ is the one elected. And in him, all human beings are elected. So it's an asymmetrical construction here where you have election and, con and damnation, but it all centers around Jesus Christ. But by that figure, you have not a uh, understanding of humanity into uh, groups of people, those condemned and those elected, but you have Jesus Christ who is the only condemned and in him he's the first elected. So in him, all human beings are elected as well. That's great. Thank you for that. Um, you have this follow-up paragraph in the book uh, addressing Bart's thought on, thoughts on universalism. Could you elaborate on that just a little bit, what, uh, what Bart would say about the question about universalism? I thought that was interesting. Yeah, he said that um, he did not teach, he does not teach universalism, but he does not not teach universalism. Right. <laughs> Ebert Jüngel told this in a, in a, in a paper that Bart once said that. Um, I think the idea, Barn would always say, you, you should not do a doctrine. You should not, I'm sorry, you should not uh, develop a doctrine out of that because then you would try to, um, to fix God's grace. We are still speaking about God's grace into a doctrine. And that can, human beings cannot do that. It's God who is acting here and not our doctrinal thinking. But at the same time, he would say, if you would exclude the possibility for, God's grace to be stronger than our sins and our attempt to live without God, then you would also try to uh, define God's grace and say, no, that cannot be possible, that God's grace is so big that everybody is included in it. Thank you for that. Um, that, that little bit right there is uh, mainly what I'm working on for my dissertation. Um, my main interest to see Bonhoeffer's kind of reception of obviously uh, that volume was right at the very end of Bonhoeffer's life, but uh, just Bart's understanding of reconciliation in general and kind of wh where that's headed and how Bonhoeffer picks it up and uh, whether or not he agrees and how that affects soteriology. That's kind of what I'm working on. Right, um, right. Well, I have one last question for you. This one is a, a bit of a fun one. Um, so if you were trapped on a desert island and you were only allowed to have one book by Bart, um, and you can't say the full church dogmatics. You can only get one book <laughs> um, and one book about Bart. So any sort of secondary source, um, which two would you bring? I would bring Bart's last sermons in prison. Okay. Um, huh. I actually don't know if they are translated 
probably they are. In, in German, it's a Predigt in 1954 to 1967, because uh, when he was an old man, um, Mandy, uh, uh, preached in prison, and those sermons are so full of grace and hope and light. I think this would be wonderful on mm -hmm. that island. And I take Eberhard Busch's collection, the Akte Kalbad, that uh, you can translate this, the Kalbad fires. It's about how Bart was under censorship and surveillance during the Second World War when he returned to Switzerland, because it reads like a thriller and would help me to survive the boredom on that island. <laughs> Perfect. Well, yeah, that's just a fun way to get some uh, book recommendations. I have lots and lots of reading ahead of me, and I'm sure that people listening to this probably do now as well. Um, so the book was Karl Barth, A Life in Conflict. Um, you can get it on Amazon or uh, through Oxford University Press. Um, thank you so much just for taking the time to do this first episode. <laughs> you just kind of uh, took a risk to, to do this for me so I, I really appreciate it and I've learned so much from you and uh, yeah this has been great thank you very much it was my, my pleasure thank you for listening to this episode of the Carl Bart podcast if you enjoyed the episode please leave a review in your podcast app it will help others find the show and if you have any feedback or questions please feel free to reach out to me on twitter the handle is at Bart podcast that's all for me now. I'm excited to keep learning with you all, and I appreciate you listening. See you next month.